Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max, and listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. I'm Greta Johnson. I'm Trisha Bobita. And from WBEZ in Chicago, this is Nerdette. Coming up... What I'm most interested in is the kind of clumsy things people do to try to come together. We talk to author, playwright, and screenwriter Miranda July. And then we get to know a great leading nerd of history. This week, it's Bessie Coleman. She was the first black woman in the world to get a pilot's license. That and your nerd confessions right here on Nerdette. Because everybody's a little nerdy about something. Make it snappy, nerd! Nerds! Nerd! I'm Greta Johnson. I'm Trisha Bobita. And you're listening to Nerdette. I first came across Miranda July from the movie she wrote called Me and You and Everyone We Know. It came out about 10 years ago. That's pretty much when you saw it too, right, Trisha? Yeah, I remember it was my freshman year of college and it was the first indie movie I went to see in the big city because I was here in Chicago to go to school and there were all these movies that we didn't get in the town where I grew up and that was the first time I went with friends to see an indie film. I'm not following you. My car is parked over there. In Smart Park? No, on Front Street. Oh, I parked in Smart Park. So at the end of the next block, we'll separate at Tyrone Street. Yeah, the Iceland sign is halfway. It's the halfway point. Iceland is its kind of like that point in a relationship, you know, where you suddenly realize it's not going to last forever. You know, you can see the end in sight. Tyrone Street. Yeah, but we're not even there yet. Yes. I feel like that encapsulates so much of what Miranda July tries to capture in her work. Those really inspiring but sort of maybe awkward moments in life. Oh, I was definitely inspired and awkward my freshman year of college. (laughs) See, there you go. Miranda July is also a playwright. She's an author, too. And in the past couple years especially, she's had some really interesting digital projects. She's worked in just about every medium and platform you can imagine. And the common thread in her work seems to be connecting otherwise lonely people. I think I resist that a little bit because if I heard that, I'd be like, oh, this is a really like huggy, utopic, hopeful person. And in truth, what I'm most interested in is the kind of clumsy things people do to try to come together, but they're usually not successful in that, or if they are, it's very fleeting, or there's like a huge misconception involved. But what I like is the way that they try to do that is completely unique to them, and the mistakes they make are almost like art. It's almost a performance. The unnecessary steps, my characters and People in general, I think, take, you know, to do something that should be so simple, but none of us are really good at it, which is come together. Your latest work is a novel called The First Bad Man. How is writing a novel different from writing a movie or a play for you? I knew it'd be different from writing a movie. I thought it might be a lot like writing a short story, which it wasn't. (laughs) Um, The short stories I've written so far have been sort of like 
acts of passion. I've written them quite quickly and not rewritten them that much. And at least for me, this wasn't like that at all. Maybe having the original idea was sort of a passionate and exciting moment, but writing the first draft was really worrisome to me because the writing itself seemed so bad. (laughs) And um, I was just pushing through it over like eight months or something. And what I didn't realize was, oh, in a way, it's almost more like a movie in that you're creating raw footage that you then get to shape and reshape and you can like reshoot an infinite number of times. And so that's the hard part. It's like the shoot in a way, the first draft. But it's almost like an infinite shoot, right? Because there are so many possibilities. But but really, once you have the draft, you have a book. You have something to make better. I remember when I first heard about the Somebody app, I had a dual reaction. I thought, oh, it would be so fun to deliver the message. And, oh, it would be so terrifying to have a stranger come up to me and deliver (laughs) me a message. Right. Can you, for listeners who aren't familiar with it, explain how it would work? When you send your friend a message through somebody, it goes not to your friend directly, but instead to the somebody user nearest your friend, who's probably a stranger to both of you. And that person delivers your message verbally, standing in for you. So the way they read it is as if they are you. (laughs) I do think the delivering part is the funnest. I hope when it's relaunched in a couple months and it really works well, people will get some confidence about that. There's like a new aspect of it, actually, where you can see the messages that are like floating, waiting to be delivered. And you can see little pictures of all the recipients who, unbeknownst to them, have a message that could be delivered to them, which I think is kind of cool. It means you could look around and just at a glance see if there was anyone near you that was any one of these people without like committing to anything. So we're trying to make it easier and just more functional. I just got really nerdy, which is... (laughs) (laughs) It's perfect. It's perfect. Uh, Yeah, again, it's definitely not efficient. There is something inherently clumsy about the whole thing. And to me, that's why it feels like something at the end. Yeah, it's self-aware of its inefficiencies in the way that most technology isn't. Snapchat has a lot of parameters on it. But it says that it's the sort of be-all, end-all. You should do everything in Snapchat. Whereas I think somebody is acknowledging right from the start that this is a very specific way to interact with other humans. And it almost has a sense of humor about itself, I think. What I think is really magical about it is that, especially in public places, how often do you see someone sitting there staring into their phone instead of interacting with the people around them? And this is a perfect way to force you out of your little lit-up screen comfort zone and yeah. and look around you and, like, interact with people who you wouldn't necessarily otherwise. I know. I have to say, I mean, the first iteration of it was such a headache, and I had moments where I was like, oh, my God, is this worth it? But the <laughs> few times that I was delivering a message, you're holding your phone, but you're forced to look up and into the faces of everyone around you with this kind of giddy feeling, like, are they the one? Which makes the world feel very small in that moment. Like, you're all part of a game, and, like, everyone knows. And an unusual amount of people came up to me during that time. I mean, I guess some of them were recognizing me, but I felt like just the mere fact that my face was up and I was making eye contact with everyone made me, like, a magnet. <laughs> and the 
couple times I found someone, really, the look on both our faces was, oh, my God. Like, <laughs> and maybe it shouldn't have been so amazing, you know, but at that point, those first weeks of it existing, it was nothing short of stunning each time. Yeah, no, it really was. Someone in the first couple weeks, I was living in Asheville, North Carolina at the time, which, you know, is a population of 100,000 people. So it wasn't like there were a whole lot of people interacting on this platform yet. But someone came and found me and delivered a message. And it was just like a friend of mine saying, hey, essentially, and giving me a high five. And then this person left. And I was in this magical moment of thinking about how cool this weird thing was that just happened to me, but not really being able to talk to anyone about it either. You know, it's like... Usually it's not so ephemeral. Right. And it's not like a life changing moment. It's not like anything is actually different, but it's still just so, I don't know. Yeah. Ephemeral and fascinating at the same time. It's like a flash mob without the mob. (laughs) Because the people interacting in it aren't doing it just for attention or for people to watch them on YouTube later. But there really is just a pay it forward moment of kindness, I hope. What have been some of your favorite messages that you've heard about getting sent through this platform? You know, it's funny. The first one that I delivered, I remember, you know, like a good self-promoter, like right after it happened, I was like, oh, my God. I wish someone had videoed that, and I started to say, like, maybe we should recreate it. And the woman, the young woman, looked me in the eyes, and she said, no. <laughs> That's the best part. Don't you get it? Yeah. And I was like, oh. And it was, like, very deep to me that she got that. I was like, I actually do get that, or I did originally. Um, <laughs> I'm happy that you do. One of my favorite stories of it was the woman who had a baby, a newborn baby, strapped onto her, and I so remember that time because I had a baby a few years ago and you're really you're so desperate to connect Mm. with the world but all you can really do is kind of walk around with the baby and you wish you could talk to people anyone you know you're like I'm out of the house (laughs) I made it she was delivering messages and I loved that she'd kind of like use the technology to kind of outsmart the limitations of that moment. That is really funny because normally when I see a woman with a small baby especially, like I just assume that she wouldn't want to be bothered. She's busy. Right, or wouldn't want to be talking to strangers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, she's busy. You know, she's got her own thing <laughs> happening there. Still to come, we get some mindful homework from Miranda July, learn about great lady nerd of history Bessie Coleman, and hear your nerd confessions. This is Nerdette. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Tan Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max and listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. You're listening to Nerdette. I'm Greta Johnson. And I'm Trisha Bobita. This week, we're talking to Miranda July. She's a filmmaker, performance artist, and writer. Her new novel is The First Bad Man. Trisha, she did a project a while back that I loved the most. It's called We Think Alone, and it was an email newsletter, but it definitely wasn't like, hey, this is a thing that's happening now. Instead, it was an email every week. 
And the email would have this topic. So it would be like, here are a bunch of emails that are apologies. Here are a bunch of emails with I love you in it. Here's a sad email. And what Miranda did is she got all of her friends and people she knew to contribute emails along each of those themes. And so it was sort of this weird curated look into the lives of all of these different sorts of people. It was oddly inspiring. I guess it was inspiring and awkward. I guess we can just kind of keep going with that theme. I feel like she'd be okay with that. A littler kind of marketing type project led to it. I had done this thing and it's actually still going on where you can get your fortune delivered to you each week through your email. You can subscribe to it. Um, Oh, I was hoping it was going to be in a cookie, but go on. (laughs) (laughs) Not through a messenger. Um, (laughs) And that was to promote the future, my last movie. And this museum in Stockholm had seen that. They asked me if I would make another email-based art project for their show. And I was writing my novel, The First Bad Man, at the time. So I thought, well, I'm not going to write a million fortunes or something labor-intensive like that. I'm just going to work with emails that already exist. And I'll ask all these kind of notable people to scavenge through their inboxes and give me an email to their mom, an email about money, an angry email, like all these emails on a theme. Um, (laughs) So that's what it was. You could subscribe, and each week you would get a different themed compendium from the likes of Lena Dunham and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and Kirsten Dunst and Catherine Opie. And, of course, that was like a 100 times harder and more complex than anything (laughs) I could have written myself. Um, Just the contract, the legal documents I had to make with each person Oh, sure. Outrageously complex. Yeah. I bet. Yeah. I loved how out of context they were. You literally would just copy and paste emails from these people into an email out to everyone who's subscribed. And so it's sort of up to you to figure out what the context is of a lot of them. It almost felt voyeuristic, but knowing that they were all in on the joke, too, it felt like it was okay. And what they chose was telling or not, you know? Right, yeah. Were they thinking about it? Yeah. I love it, too, because historically, one of the few things we have from a notable public figure or an author, a politician, would be their letters. And that's the only way we could dip into what were John and Abigail Adams really like? What was right, right. what was the relationship like between these two authors that was all through letters? And we've stopped writing letters, but we write tons and tons and tons of email So to have someone sort of write the first draft of their history when it comes to these are my letters felt really fun to me, too. I know the idea somewhat was inspired by the emails me and Sheila Hetty, the author, were sending back and forth at the time. It had that feeling of like, wow, these should be saved. Like, we're really putting our all into these (laughs) Um, because we live across the country from each other and we're just getting to know each other. So it was a sort of courtship, too, and it's writers and so she was the first on my list anyways for that project. I talked to a couple recently who got together probably about 10 years ago and they everything was an email you know and there there was a time especially right when they started dating where they would email back and forth four or five times in a day easily right and the way they sort of described the nature of it to me was like well it was before texting and that idea that like even email now kind of has this mildly arcane feel to it because it's more than 140 characters and we're not doing it a dozen times a day like we are maybe texting or tweeting or whatever. Yeah, the friends that I have that text heavily, um, (laughs) either they're my age and I'm like, well, 
they're very useful. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly have a lot of young friends, um, or they're just really young. I think of it as a young thing to do. Or they're like, just always on tour or something. <laughs> a very transient life, you know, mm-hmm. where you can't even handle opening your computer. So what else are you nerding out about these days? What What are things that you're feeling particularly enthralled in or captivated by that's out there in the world? There's a, a book that's kind of pocket-sized. I've been carrying it in my purse. The playwright Richard Maxwell, he's a director and playwright, has a little book, I think about to come out, called Theater for Beginners. And it really is kind of just that, but it also has these really simple, profound things in it that could apply to anyone. Do you want me to read a little piece? Oh my gosh, I'd love that. <laughs> I just ha- I folded back the corner on some parts I loved. At the part where it says the actor, just think the person, okay? Okay. In fact, I'm just going to say the person. Okay. Um, okay. This is not me. This is Richard Maxwell. Rather than predict what the newness will be, your job as the person is to pay attention and be available to the newness. New things are happening because you're alive and not stuck in time. I don't know if that's it might not be as profound without the... No, it is. No, it's phenomenal. I spend a lot of time worrying about the future and trying to create a system that will prepare me for it. And I think I need to look up from the screen sometimes and see yeah. what's coming. Yeah. yeah. That's really nice. Oh, yay. Cool. We'll have to check that one out, too. Thanks to Miranda July for talking with us. Her new novel is The First Bad Man. The Somebody app is on hiatus, but she says it's coming back. We'll be sure to let you know when it does so that maybe we can send and deliver each other some awkward messages. Yes, slightly awkward hugs. In the meantime, you can find Miranda on Twitter. She's at Miranda underscore July. You could always tell by how a kid swings on a swing set. How adventurous they are. How high are they willing to go? Are they begging their parents for an underdog at the park? And then when they get a little older, there's the kids who launch themselves from the highest point possible into the mulch or the turf or whatever's on the ground just to spend a few extra seconds in the sky. There's a park on the south side of Chicago named Bessie Coleman Park. And I bet there's more than a few daredevils there. But I bet most of them would still feel a knot in their stomach if they saw some of the things Bessie Coleman did in a plane. This week marks the birthday of Bessie Coleman. She was the first African-American female pilot. And it's fitting that there's a park named after her here in Chicago because this is where she caught the flying bug. She grew up in the South but moved to Chicago in her early 20s to live with a couple of her brothers. And she worked as a manicurist but also at a chili parlor. And at that chili parlor, she heard stories from soldiers who'd come back who knew how to touch the sky. This was America's first crop of pilots who came home from the war and had nothing to do with this skill set. There was very little commercial flight. The planes themselves were terrifyingly unsafe. So a lot of these men did the only thing they could think of when they came home from flying in the war. They created a business out of flight. And they did it with these surplus airplanes that the military no longer needed. So for a couple hundred bucks, which was more money back in the 1910s and 20s to be sure, but only a couple hundred bucks, you could get an airplane. And again, these airplanes were not the sturdiest. And they were open from the pilot seat to the wing. 
And so you may have seen videos of this before, old-timey footage of people teetering on the wings or jumping from plane to plane. These daredevil stunts were called barnstorming. And Bessie Coleman was intrigued by all of it, but especially flying. But to get that pilot's license, she couldn't do it in the United States. No American flight school would allow a black woman to train. So it was actually the publisher of the Chicago Defender who said, you have to go to France. In France, they let women fly. So he helped her raise money. She learned French and she set off to Paris. And there she learned how to fly. Bessie Coleman came back and she too couldn't find work as a commercial pilot. Her gender and her race meant that no one would hire her even if there were enough commercial pilot jobs. So she ended up barnstorming too, doing these crazy stunts in the air. I love this about her. She would only perform in venues, not only that were desegregated, but ones where everyone got to walk through the same entrance. And again, these planes were rickety, so they broke a lot. There were a lot of repairs and costs, and sometimes you needed a whole new plane. But Bessie Coleman earned extra money by lecturing around the country. And she was trying to save up enough to create a flight school in the US that would allow women, that would allow African-Americans. But before she was able to do that, She died in an accident, fell out of a plane all the way to her death. She was only in her mid-30s. She'd become such a prominent figure in the civil rights movement that Ida B. Wells spoke at her funeral, and it's estimated that 10,000 people turned out to pay their respects. For years after her death, it became a tradition for pilots to fly over her grave and drop flowers. There are a lot of aviation clubs for women named Bessie Coleman. There's a part of O'Hare Airport here in Chicago named after her. And there's that park on the south side where kids jump out of swings at the highest point they can and touch the sky for just a minute. To learn more about Bessie Coleman, you can watch a Smithsonian video we've posted on nerdetpodcast.com. There's also a first-person account from her niece, that you can read. We have a link to that there as well. Time now for homework from Miranda July. Do you guys use the app Headspace? No, no. Yeah. Yeah, if you've ever, like, been like, I should meditate, and then thought that every year for your whole life. (laughs) (laughs) It's really simple, and I have to say, like, as someone who's gone on silent meditation retreats and things like that, like, this is working better for me than any of that did, and I've gotten so much out of it. I love that technology has evolved to the point where there really are apps that are helping you unplug from technology. Isn't it weird? It makes you realize it's moving very quickly in a few different directions. Some of them are really awful. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and then there's really smart people also. You know, everyone, it's all different kinds of people applying themselves to it. Yeah, it's kind of helpful. Yeah, it does give me hope. (laughs) Your other homework, of course, is to read Miranda July's new novel, The First Bad Man. You can find links to all your homework at nerdatpodcast.com. Now it's time to hear from you. Time for Nerd Confessions! Nerd Confessions! Hi, I'm Emily, and this is my Nerd Confession. When I was in high school swimming on my swim team, I used to have uh, several different Shakespeare soliloquies on my iPod, and I actually listened to the uh, speech from Henry V, the once more unto the breach, dear friends, once more speech, 
before every race that I swam in to get to get myself really fired up. I'd be behind the blocks going like, God for Harry, England, and St. George! Which was really quite terrible in retrospect. <laughs> Emily, that is nothing but beautiful. Are you kidding me? I know I say this every time, but this is my favorite. I like this one because it reminds me of my high school athletic past. I was on the volleyball team. And can you guess, Greta, maybe what my pregame pump it up bus ride music was? Oh, my gosh. Was it? I really want it to be the West Wing theme song. Oh, that would have been good. (laughs) You're close, but not really. Oh, man. I don't know. What was it? The original Broadway cast recording of A Chorus Line. Of course it was. That's a pretty good nerd confession right there, Tricia. Give me somebody to dance for. Give me somebody to show. There's this song in the original Broadway cast recording of Chorus Line called The Music in the Mirror that's about... Oh, did you want to keep talking about the Broadway production of A Chorus Line? It's the original Broadway cast recording on CD in the Walkman, on the bus. Everyone else has headphones on and is listening to their hippity hop and their other musics. No one knew that to get ready for the big game, I had to listen to A Chorus Line. That's impressive. You know, I just the other day had a pretty good nerd confession, too, that I figured I should share just in the spirit of encouraging other people to share their nerd confessions. This thing may or may not have happened to me once where I earned this marathoner badge on audible.com. I had no idea this was even a thing that could happen. How many hours is a marathon? Well, apparently, if you listen to six hours in a row, you get this marathoner badge. I think it should be a message that says, are you okay? Yeah, yeah. So that's what happened to me the other day. If you're curious what it was that I was listening to, tweet us and I'll let you know. Oh, a little interactivity. <laughs> 312-600-5638. Tell us about when you were at your nerdiest. This can be a pleasant story or a painful story from your past. This is a safe space, guys. Call us, leave a voicemail, let us know. 312 You can also call to suggest a great lady nerd of history for us to profile. Or just say hi. We really love your voicemails. We really do. Thank you so much to Miranda July for joining us this week. Find us at nerdatpodcast.com. That's where you can sign up for our email newsletter. Talk with us on Twitter at nerdatpodcast. Like us on Facebook. This show is produced by us, Trisha Bobita and Greta Johnson. With help from Joe Dassault and Iris Lynn. Chicago Public Media creates award-winning content about the issues that affect nerds like you. More information is available at chicagopublicmedia.org. Thanks to you for listening on iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. Throw us some stars, write a review on iTunes if you're feeling generous. Like the excellent Amdrills did on iTunes. There's not enough vowels there, Amdrills, for us to know how to say it, so we hope we're saying it correctly, Amdrills. I mean, it might be A-M-D-R-L-S, but I feel really good about Amdrills, frankly. Amdrills. And we've got it in brackets right now, and it looks good that way. <laughs> just, just something to think about. We we do appreciate the stars, the retweets, and the shares. There's one other way you can help Nerdette. If you're a nerd with a business or who works for one that wants to get your message heard by Nerdette listeners, you can underwrite the show. Email us nerdettepodcast at gmail.com for sponsorship opportunities. Our theme music is New Old Toys by Poddington Bear. Do your homework. Do your homework. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max. 
and listen to the Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts.